I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to The Bigger Picture, brought to you by the British Film Institute. I'm Henry. And I'm Anna. And I say someone, perhaps someone you regularly co-host a podcast with, was thinking of buying you a dairy cow for Christmas. What would you call that cow? These intros are getting weirder and weirder, but I can't <laughs> say that I'm not enjoying them. To answer your question, I would name her Miranda after the only decent character in Sex and the City. I ask because this episode will be talking about Monos, a mystical war movie from Colombian Ecuadorian director Alejandro Landes, in which a bovine beauty called Shakira plays a pivotal role. But before that, Anna, what have you been watching? I've actually been immersed in a lot of witch movies recently because I've been working on this project called Here Be Witches, which is happening across November in London. And one of the films for screenings actually being released, has been released by the time this episode airs. It's a BFI Blu-ray release of two very rare 1970s documentaries about the real-life witch explosion that happened in the UK in pretty much two years between 1970 and 1972. And one of them, which is the one that I'm screening on the 13th of November, plug, 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 is <laughs> actually a fascinating sort of document of its time because they sort of live between documentary and fiction and capturing a craze of the era. Farewell, O Sun, ever returning light. The hidden God forever yet remains, who now departs to the land of youth, through the gates of death, to dwell enthroned. It's so difficult to capture a particular cultural moment and a particular zeitgeist and kind of really dig into what people go crazy for in a particular moment of time. And the sort of witch craze that dominated the UK in this period of time, which manifested itself in not just these documentaries, one of which, Secret Rights, was commissioned by the BBC as well and is available on the BFI player too. The judge of gods and men, the horn leader of the hosts of air, yet even as he stands unseen, about the circle, so dwelleth he within the sacred seas. But the other one, Legend of the Witches, has been sort of wildly unavailable and only available in piecemeal and was sort of released as an X-rated porn movie in a way because of the amount of nudity that's presented in there. Lonely, Diana desired a lover. That desire became the dawn. And from the dawn came the sun, Lucifer, the god of light. 
And we're living in a moment right now, I think, culturally, both online and in terms of scholarship and in terms of kind of representation and reclamation of the figure of the witch, you know, from everything from Maleficent, of which the sequel has just come out, to The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, to the remakes of Suspiria and Charmed TV show. All of that is in the air and it's being sort of reclaimed and repositioned by, frankly, younger women. So it's quite an fascinating film and you know if you want to intellectualize your spooky season a little bit that's definitely one I'd go for this is the witch's legend of creation sounds awesome as does the term witch explosion which is my new favorite band name by the or way. witch plotation <laughs> witch plotation well I've been watching and there's a tenuous link here so bear with me okay Monos has gorillas in it Gorilla is one of my favorite formative albums by a band called Super Furry Animals. The lead singer is a man called Griff Reese. Griff Reese has made a documentary called, and he made it 10 years ago, mind you, <laughs> Separado, which is amazing. I only just discovered it this week. Basically, it's lovely Griff, who's very eccentric. Language difference. Has it been an obstacle? In my experience, musicians don't talk that much anyway, or even can talk. And very interesting and deeply fascinated with everything Welsh. He travels across the world to South America, to Patagonia, to find his, essentially his roots as a Welsh speaker. And there was a small Welsh-speaking community that moved to Patagonia about 200 years ago. I know where I'm going, but I have no idea where it is and inspired this whole strand of music and culture that has now come or came back to Wales in the 1970s. And they had a Welsh singer who used to sing Argentine salsa music on Welsh TV in the 1970s. So inspired by this guy, Griff Rees goes back to Patagonia to find the roots of this music and where it came from. It's a really startlingly weird and interesting and fun documentary. If, if you've ever listened to Super Fairy Animals music, you basically get a visualisation of their thought process, which is strange and alienating and wonderfully lovely all at the same time, so you have to watch it. I'm truly speechless. It's great. That sounds so amazing. Where can I watch it? You can watch it on Amazon Prime. I'm amazed by the fact that we did not prepare this and we both ended up going for strange documentaries about something related to the 1970s. Okay, let's vamos to Monos, where a guerrilla group of child soldiers are holed up in the mountains of an unspecified South American country. Adult supervision comes in the form of their American hostage and a commander who tells them when to jump, run, lift, and uh, mate. The hills are alive with the sound of grunting, hooting, chanting, and gunfire. Anna, God knows I haven't really described Monos there. How would you describe it? I think he did a really great job. <laughs> really appreciate and looking forward to the rest of the episode where you're going to be butchering every single word in Spanish. Everything. <laughs> yes. Everything. How would I describe Monos? I genuinely don't know. The thing that instantly came to mind, and I know this film has been compared to this particular piece of culture many times in many reviews, and it's sort of a guerrilla Lord of the Flies. Mm -hmm. Some jerk off stole my pocket knife. Yeah, things are disappearing all over. What are we going to do with bees when we catch them? Get them! 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 Get them
That's how I would describe it in a nutshell if I was selling it to someone. It's not just the pig's head on a stick, though, right? Because there is a scene with the pig's head on a stick, which is the direct visual reference to William Goldie's book. But what have we got? We've got a group of slightly feral kids who take the law into themselves and away from adult supervision become a community, but a community that is very eager and ready to destroy itself, right? Llegó el mensajero. No podemos mentir. It's not the fact that they're feral in a sense, it's the fact that they've built rules and a sort of system or micro-society for themselves in this very particular but also quite undefined and unspecific location and world that they inhabit. It's very pointed that, you know, it's not strictly defined, like the place and the time where they're living is not specified. You can get sort of what it's gunning for. But at the same time, the fact that it's not directly alluding or naming a particular time or place in the world makes it so much more ethereal and sort of magical in a way. Yeah, I totally agree. And I really like that about it. I mean, Alejandro Landres has talked about the fact that he didn't want to make it specific, that so many war movies have a kind of polemic that they want to sell to you. And part of that polemic is situating it in a geography or in a political situation that people will immediately put their viewpoint on. And I mean, this film can't escape the fact that it is about Colombia to some extent, right? But the fact that it happens way up in the mountains in the middle of the clouds in a setting that looks completely fantastic and strange and weird really helps you place yourself in it as a viewer from the UK or anywhere else, I'd Mm. say. It also helps you take the kids out of that setting into other types of films that you've seen that kind of environment in. Where this film worked best for me is when it's just seen as a purely teenage experience. So quite aside from the fact that they're child soldiers and everything that entails, they're just a group of kids, right? Having fun and trying to learn how to work together in the community that they built for themselves. And so much as I get the references to things like Apocalypse Now or to um, Werner Herzog's films, there's a real feeling for me of something like American Honey, which came out, the Andrew Arnold film, which mm-hmm. came out a couple of years ago. It's a business opportunity. We go door to door, we sell magazines. We explore, like, America. We party. Come with us. You got anybody who's going to miss you? Not really. Okay, good. You're hired. In the kind of freedom the teenagers have, but also Empire Records, which is a favourite of mine from the 1990s, in that in you're pointing at me, so you want to interrupt me. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, I love it too. Yeah. But also, I want to dig into this a bit more yeah. because this is such a stretch, but I'm fascinated by it. I completely see what you mean by like this functions both as a war movie and sort of a teen movie in many ways. Yeah. It's a coming of age film and it follows a lot of the similar patterns. But talk to me about how Monos relates to Empire Records. Because, right... 
they're all individual characters down to the character names. So you have names like Dog, Bum Bum, Lady, Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah, who's one of the leaders of the tribe. Rambo. Rambo. It's almost cartoonish in a weird kind of Bass Street Kid. You know the Bass Street Kids from the Beano? Bass Street, the school with plug as a pupil. The ugliest boy in the world. Hey? He's so ugly, he can crack a mirror at ten paces. <laughs> They were a class of kids, right, in a very British school who had names like Pug or Smithy or Pieface was one of them. So like this kind of... Were you called Pieface? Yeah, well, like 1970s (laughs) British comic sensibility of everybody can be described by a single word. And Mm -hmm. that's obviously what nicknames are, but it's also how people come to embody a part in a community. Empire Records definitely has that, right? Like you have the kind of slightly jockey kid who's nicking cds you have lucas who's the cool dude who's leading them all you have mark who's the stoner metalhead who's really into guar i love mark you have sinead rebellion aj loves Corey, not the whole story today is the day that i'm gonna tell Corey how i feel about her that i uh love her yeah do you think that it's possible for someone to be in love with someone else and not even know it in this life there are nothing but possibilities. That is so sweet. I think I'm going to barf. Corey wants Rex first time at sex. Hey, Rex, what happened to your hair? I will offer myself to Rex Manning. Ah! I wish I could be brave. You are brave. I have to bring Rex's lunch. I'm bringing Rex's lunch! Mark's raging mad. Best day he's had. Just like this! Help me, help me, help me. If I was in a band, they would not be doing this to me. You have all of those characters all thrown together into this situation where, away from adult supervision, Joe, the store owner, is not present for most of the film. And when he is, he's pretty ineffectual, banging away at his drum kit. When the adults are away, the kids have to play and form the rules for themselves, right? And so the tone of Monos, while they are completely starkly different films, and they are films that are dealing with very, very different subject matter, that tone of adolescent freedom and escapism and the way that teenagers come together to form a society for themselves that then plays into but doesn't dictate how they deal with the adult world felt very familiar between the two. And again with American Honey as well, the fact that there's just a group of teenagers in that film who are driving around together, forming their own rules, and then they stop in at these points with motels where the grown-ups, who are about six years older than them, have to tell them what to do with their lives authority kicks in then but for the most part they're just left to be free and i think that's probably something fundamental about being a teenager but these films get that tone across so well and so comprehensively that you feel like the kids are an authority figure in a strange way because they've become the world of the film i completely get what you're saying i will just disagree on the point that actually as you were speaking i thought more of the breakfast club than i did of empire Mm -hmm. records because actually in empire records And the thing that I think differentiates it from something like Monos is because A, the authority figure of Joe, the record store owner, is always there. And actually his influence and his authority is very clear on all of his employees and sort of friends of the store, as ineffectual as they might be. And they're all going towards the same goal, which is to save the store, save Empire Records, and they're all raising money for it. So they want to help Joe. but. It's in the breakfast club where they are genuinely thrust in this one place with no, seemingly no connection to one another. What do you say we close that door? We can't have any kind of party. We're burning, checking us out every few seconds. Well, you know, the door's supposed to stay open. So what? So why don't you just shut up? There's four other people in here, you know. God, you can count. See, I knew you had to be smart to be a, a wrestler. Who the hell are you to judge anybody anyway? Really? You know, Bender, you don't even count. You know, if you disappear forever, it wouldn't make any difference. You may as well not even exist at this school. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And become a micro-society of their own kind and also all operate on the very, very specific sort of character stereotypes. You know, there's the jock, there's the nerd, there's the weirdo, there's the burnout, and there's the preppy girl in much a similar way as they do in Monos. I totally buy that. And I'm glad we're going down this road together. It's such a shame that Monos doesn't have a Rex Manning figure. But anyway, regardless. I mean, it's a shame that every (laughs) film does not have a Rex Manning figure, isn't it? I feel like we've just devalued one of the most critically acclaimed <laughs> films of this season. Not at all. <laughs> more seriously, I mean, Monos' situation is much more real, much more raw in that these kids are guerrillas fighting in the mountains mm. and they are part of a military sect and they have been, for all purposes, indoctrinated. And I think in that way, it bears comparison to other films like, it made me think of The Act of Killing, the uh, mm-hmm. documentary by Joshua Oppenheimer. <laughs> Not so much that there were kids in that film, but the idea of war is play and the idea of how we sell brutality to ourselves and how the individual becomes subsumed into the community and as long as you're playing by the rules of your community you don't have to look at yourself and wonder is what i'm doing actually morally correct because the idea of morals or ethics are kind of thrown out the window when you buy your membership card for the club you're in absolutely and also the fact that you know we referenced it before jokingly but the fact that they don't actually have human names Mm. that it's all nicknames and that even those nicknames themselves are sort of describing them as characters but obviously that's not everything they are or even referencing these violent sort of war themed films like Rambo is the most on the nose one it's already kind of exploring that tenuous connection between war as a game and as play as you say which is not just an indoctrination method in the real world, but also kind of as viewers, we're very used to seeing particular narratives in war movies. And I'll admit, I'm genuinely not a fan of them because 
I find that the narratives are always there's one or two and they just keep being repeated over and over again. Mm. So it's interesting that we're talking about Monos as both a war movie and a teenage movie where both of those microcosms that are created within both the fictional narratives that were fed about being a teenager and the fictional narratives were fed about people being at war with each other are kind of oddly similar. And that's the weird power that Monos had over me is the fact that I was engaging with it essentially as a teen coming of age film, but there's a darkness to it which is the fact that it's not just play, it's not a protected environment such as high school is, it's not a cookie-cutter society, this is literally, they are in the jungle, so kind of their environment and the perils that surround them are so much more visceral, and the fact that they don't seem to see that threat, or see it even as a threat, is so startling. And it takes you out of the narrative to a degree where you start thinking of it as a mythical journey. And that becomes scary because that's the way you can imagine the people disassociate from violent acts or from acts of war yeah. is by thinking that everything that's happening in front of them or that they're actually doing themselves is not really happening. Totally, yeah. I guess you only start to see quote-unquote reality in this film when you get down to the hostage they have, who's Doctora, who's this American woman who's been taken captive and they're tasked with looking after her and by dint of that infantilizing her and because she becomes the child that needs looking after right but mm-hmm. at the same time she's the only one with adult perspective that they really have much contact time with other than their commander and her response is completely adult and rational right it's a complete panic that she's being looked after by this group of teenagers who are toting automatic weapons and fire them pretty much willy-nilly whenever they like to while I could see that the film needed that to ground me in the real experience of what it's actually like to have these kids with guns being indoctrinated. At the same time, that was weirdly the least effective bit of the film for Mm. me in that I felt like I'd seen that kind of peril and that kind of panic before. And maybe the first half of the film was too successful in making me feel something for the kids and making me not want to be a part of the world, but understanding their community that they built for each other in that when we got to the more hostage-heavy stuff, the more survival thriller stuff in the second half, I started to feel a little bit like I'd seen a lot of it before or at least seen um, that kind of panic before. And that makes me feel like I'm cold-hearted and dead inside, Anna. Which you are. Thank you. We all know this. It's okay, though. (laughs) Week by week or episode by episode, I reveal it more and more. (laughs) The depths of my cold black heart. Thanks. (laughs) You know, we can't all be Rex Manning. (laughs) But the second bit of the film definitely reminded me of 71, this film by Jan de Munch. Yeah, do you remember that film? I do remember that film. Also screened at London Film Festival in 2014. Lovely, lovely Jack O'Connell. Okay, calm down. (laughs) For the after dark. That was a film set in the Troubles where Jack O'Connell plays this British soldier who's trapped behind enemy lines. And again, it's a much more conventional structure. It's like, how's he going to escape? He's one man against the odds, etc, etc. And the Doctor in in Monos is that person. But they have that kind of similar sense of hopelessness, but also a thrill to them, I guess. Soldier went missing. It was a confused situation. Everybody's looking for that boy. The Brits here. And we're gonna kill him. As I said before, I'm not generally one for war-themed films. Yeah. But this is one that stayed with me in a way because it doesn't fit into those typical 
narratives of war films. And hope is such a big part of those narratives. It's either everything is hopeless and everything is futile and we're just sacrificing human lives for the sake of politics. Or the other one is an extremely patriotic narrative of like, you know, we just need to kill as many people as possible in the pursuit of freedom or power or victory, just the concept of victory, not kind of even anything super specific. Mm. So the fact that there wasn't this end goal in a way made it quite a bit more refreshing and interesting because what draws you in of Monos is that community they're building and the dynamics that exist between them. So when I mentioned Lord of the Flies, kind of that's, aside from the obvious nod to it in the film, It's the dynamics between them, kind of seen in real life, so to speak, air quotes, see those dynamics unfold between all the characters. That's what drew you in. And that's kind of an intimate side of war, completely removed from any politics, sides, even names or backstories or nationalities or anything like that. Of course, you can kind of, you know, deduce a lot of things, but it's not explicitly in the story, which makes it so much more universal. Or winning or losing, right? Exactly. There's no end to the conflict. And isn't that the perfect metaphor of conflict in general? It's just an endless, endless spinning wheel of confrontation and conflict and war and killing. But actually, there is no humanity or no end to it. I mean, the director has talked about how Colombia has been at war with itself for so long now that it's kind of forgotten what it is. The Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, or FARC, have been fighting a brutal insurgency against the Colombian government for 51 years. We're talking Colombia today, which for the past three years has looked to be on the path to peace after more than 50 years of war with the FARC leftist rebels. But that peace is now under threat from one of the same men who agreed to it. So much blood's been spilt in a war that's gone on for so long, few realise it hasn't ended. The last decade has taken its toll on the guerrillas. Military offensives and mass desertions have reduced their number from an estimated 19,000 controlling many towns and a third of the countryside to around 7,000 fighters today, still holding out in the jungle. And that's why he was keen to make it not a right story, a left story, uh, you know, any kind of political faction. It's just a story about people fighting a war that they believe in to death, but you've kind of lost the point of that war at the same time. And I think that's where Monos is really interesting. It's not hopeless, but it is gloryless. And so many war films mm. are about glory, right? And they're about yes. there being a side that you're with that is always going to win for a moral right or a a storytelling narrative structure that they're definitely going to get to because we, the audience, deserve that with these people. But actually, Monos is brilliant because it doesn't do that. It says they're just fighting and they're not even fighting for the most part. They're just up there in the mountains on a mission and you can side with them or not based on their individuality in that community. There's no glory in that. There's no winning in that really, but there's no losing either and that's quite difficult to stomach, I think, when you're watching a film that deals with some very real political issues, albeit far removed from them at the same time. I'm nodding very vigorously you are. because I completely agree I with I wish that could be saying. caught on audio. <laughs> <laughs> creating great audio content as per usual there's two more th- two more things we need to talk about right yeah. and they're both music related the first one is how do you think shakira feels about being labeled not labeled a cow but they named the cow after shakira one of if not colombia's best musical export i mean i'm not even going to deign to put words into shakira's mouth 
How dare you even put me in that position? I think it's a cultural nod. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't think, you know, personally, I don't think there's anything particularly offensive. I think it makes complete sense for the narrative of the film. Okay, well, we'll get on to Shakira's people. <laughs> and then let the listenership know. <laughs> the other one is, we have to mention before we go, the amazing soundtrack by Mika Levy. Oh, who, my God. Mika Chu and the Shapes, who also did work on Under the Skin. Yes. And also soundtracked Jonathan Glazer's recent short on the BBC, The Four. Yeah, which just came out a day ago, like didn't it? two days ago, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was an incredible short. He, everything he does is kind of touched with a mad genius mm-hmm. and it looks incredible. But the sound of that and her score on that short film and on Monos are the things that make the media whole. Like I could I could happily listen to Monos without watching it again three or four or five times just because of the score of this film. It's so weird and ghostly and childlike, but in a way that really reflects the themes of the film, right? Like they're childlike motifs throughout it, but they're all twisted and contorted and buried deep under these very real sound effects of nature and things that are going to kill you. And I just love her work because of that, because she brings so much of herself to it, but at the same time, she always imbues it with what the film is about. And that's the whole point of composition, obviously. But it's not about grand melodic ideas. Mm. It's not about motifs that you recognise over and over again. It's just giving you a feeling. In the same way that Johnny Greenwood does, really. Mm. But they just brilliantly transpose that pop sensibility of you need a catchy melody into you need to make it weird and strange and dark and twisted for these filmmakers as well she's a brilliant composer but it becomes almost part of the soundscape so as you said kind of it integrates so well with the sounds of the jungle and of their play and of their conversations and even kind of the tonality of their voices as well and you just it took me even a while to just notice and be like oh that's what was creeping under my skin as I was watching the film and that's the power of her soundtracks it's the same with Under the Skin as well it's sort of you don't notice until all of a sudden you just notice that it's giving you the chills and it's the combination of that music and the images I've never actually actually listen to one of her soundtracks without the images yeah i'd love to be able to listen to them without that imagery and see if it has the same effect i bet it's just as successful i'm I sure it's I'm like, sure it is. yeah in terms of freaking you the hell out <laughs> That's it for this episode. Monos is on release across the UK now. Head to bfi.org.uk for an interview with Alejandro Landes and the latest issue of Sight and Sound for an interview with composer Mika Levi. Both great, both by friend of the pod, Isabel Stevens. The Bigger Picture brought to you by the BFI is hosted by us, Henry and Anna. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Henry H. Barnes and Anna. I'm on Anna Reed Demented. Our commandante, the man telling us when to jump, run, lift, but not yet. The other thing is producer Peter Sale. More of Pete's work at petersale.co.uk. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, your last line this week comes from Dr. Zeus via Bonos. You're turning old, cold and blue, but there's no one alive who is youer than you.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 